Assalamu alaikum. We apologize for the delay in uploading sessions of the Heartwork series. The recording for session 20 was unfortunately lost due to an error with a memory card. We apologize for the inconvenience, however, in session 21, Ustad summarizes in some detail the session that was covered before it. Since then, we have begun recording on multiple devices and have begun streaming on Facebook to have recordings backed up and accessible in the event of a future error. We appreciate your patience and understanding and fully appreciate your continued du'as. May Allah reward you for your support. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. This is Abdurrahman, and you're listening to the Heartwork series on the Qalam podcast. Heartwork is a weekly session at the Ruth Community Space in Dallas, Texas, where young professionals come together and discuss ideas and concepts on how to grow in their religious practice and their relationship with Allah. This particular series is called The Messenger, where the focus of the discussions will be on lessons from the life of the Prophet Muhammad If you enjoy and appreciate these sessions and these series, then please consider becoming a sustainer of the Roots community space by going to rootsdfw.org sustain. We really appreciate your contribution. We appreciate your prayers and we appreciate you listening to the programming that we put out. Jazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullah. All right. Assalamu alaikum everybody. We can all get our seats. Y'all can move up a little bit if you want to scoot up. All right. So I want to show everybody something, but I need I, we need an agreement first. I can't just show randomly. Alrighty, so usually I'll put a lot of um, I'll put a lot of the the happy videos on Instagram of my kids. So I'll put a lot of the happy videos of my kids on Instagram, and then there's some moments that I don't share. It's not that it's not happy, but yeah. Oh wait, what happened? There we go. Okay. So my son and my daughter, my son's almost three, my daughter's almost one. They've just now discovered that they can be friends. So they're like doing a lot of things together. So last night, um, my daughter was standing up. She's learning how to stand properly. So she bumped her head against the wall. It didn't, didn't hurt her. And Musa thought it was funny. So then they started both bumping their heads against the wall. And then it got a little crazy. So this is, this is at bedtime, by the way. So she bumped her head. And Musa thinks it's funny. And they both start bumming their heads. You can see her drool on the wall. Okay. And then. So I'm telling them, you know, careful, not too hard. I'm a good dad, or I'm just chilling. Iman. Iman gets really confident. <laughs> I'm laughing. That's what happens when you come with daddy. You just laugh at these things. You gotta see it one more time. Hold on. Just this part. You can hear me. I scream. Oh. Ready? <laughs> She's like, I trusted you, basically. <laughs> so anyways, make dua for them. Allah Ta'ala protect them, Sammy, And give them the best, inshallah, Sammy, And make my daughter sleep through the night, Sammy, <laughs> Inshallah. Okay. Um, just, you know, it's just real life, right? Like, this is just the, the reality. Everyone's got things to do. We all come here and, and we, you know, spend time together in community, alhamdulillah. But, you know, um, the goal, as I always say, like, the goal for these sessions is to make sure that, you know, you walk away 
with something that nourishes you and nurtures you so that the rest of the week is a little bit better, a little bit easier. Um, and so for me, like I'm a dad, I'm a husband, um, I'm a son. I, I have a lot of responsibilities. Yeah, me. Okay. We'll create a little hallway if you can, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, y'all. Um, and so for me, like actually coming together and reading the life of the Prophet Sallallahu and studying it and spending time here, it gives me like the energy to keep going throughout the week. And so whatever it is that drains you, whatever it is that takes away from you, you know, things that we have to do, work, uh, family, um, things that we love but can be tiring. I hope, inshallah, that this, uh, that Roots does for you what it does for me, inshallah, inshallah. Um, we are in a really, really interesting part of the life of the Prophet Um One that is filled with just incredible stories and incredible points uh, of reflection. And by no means are we going to hit all of them. But the goal, again, is to kind of sit here and, and to hear the story and to think about how this can apply to you. Despite the fact that we're in the middle of what's probably one of the most miraculous points of his life, Al-Isra Ma'raj. So we talked about the night journey that the Prophet took when he traveled uh, from Mecca to Masjid Aqsa, from Mecca to Jerusalem. And then he went and he met Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And however that may have been, and we talked about, I think the last thing we covered was like the negotiation for the prayers. How initially Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had, had given the Prophet um, a, a number 50, and then when he went, when the Prophet Sallallahu left his presence, uh, Prophet Musa, Moses, I said, I'm peace be upon him, said, you know, go back and negotiate because I know people, they're not going to be able to handle that and how right he was. Um, someone asked actually after last class, they said, why did Allah give him 50 in the beginning if God knew in his ultimate wisdom that he was going to end up at five, right? Why give him 50 when he was going to go down to 45 then 40 or 40 and then 30 and then 20 and 10 and then five? So what was the point? Why didn't God just give him five from the beginning? And um, this is a good question. It's actually a question that maybe many of you thought of. And actually, it's mentioned in the books of Sirah, some of these biographical books. Like some scholars were like, what was the purpose of it? Because we don't believe that anything that's divine in its origin is by consequence, right? We don't believe that's by coincidence, that God didn't know, and then God just kind of like let it happen. And so some of the scholars said that there's no reason for certain. That's something that we're all going to find out in the afterlife. But... They said that, you know, from what we understand about relationships, from what we understand about when people, you know, have a relationship or love each other, is that you want to see the person as much as possible. And, you know, subhanAllah, when I read that, I thought to my relationship with my kids, how sometimes Musa will come ask me for something and I'll only give him a part of it. And then he'll come back a second later and say, no, I want the other part too. And that's my like cheap way as a dad of trying to get him to come back to me. And so some of the scholars said that that was the same thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was doing with the Prophet and that he wanted him to keep coming back. So he, did, he gave him 50, knowing that he was not going to be able to go back and give 50. He had to ask for a reduction. But Allah didn't want to just give him five from the beginning because he didn't want it just to be a, a short conversation. He wanted to lengthen that conversation with his beloved Prophet Muhammad So just an interesting question that someone brought up. So we're at the point now where the Prophet is, has ended his meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and has left now, <clears throat> and has now descended the heavens, and is going back to, with Jibreel, with the Burak, is going back to his home in Mecca. And he's going back to his people. And obviously, you know, this is this entire journey is miraculous, um, but there's so much that's going to be asked, and so much that's going to be thought about when it comes to this journey. One thing I did want to point out, or stop and talk about, was that there were a lot of things that happened that we didn't talk about, just because for the sake of time. But one of the things that I did want to stop and kind of rewind and go over was that on the Prophet Sallallahu journey to Jerusalem, we talked about some of the sort of, you know, what we might call supernatural things that occurred, right? We talked about how the Prophet Sallallahu you know, how the travel speed was faster than anything he had ever imagined. The animal he was riding every step was like the, the next point of the horizon. We talked about how he was being called by different figures, different people, and those figures represented things and had the Prophet Sallallahu not made the the right decisions, right, in those moments that that would have meant something for his, his ummah, his nation. But the Prophet Sallallahu Allah, God also gave him kind of like peaks behind the veil, so to speak, right? So this whole journey is miraculous. So another layer of its, of its miraculousness was that God gave the Prophet Sallallahu what we might call like these visions, right? These, these, these things that he saw. And he saw these visions that were occurring and they were occurring in different places. So we talked about you know, the, I think we mentioned that he saw these farmers and these farmers were planting their seed 
And then almost the moment that they planted it, right, the seed into the ground, the, almost the moment that they planted it, the crop would grow and they would harvest. And as soon as they would harvest it, they would plant again. So instead of there being like a natural cycle, plant, wait, water, sun, wait some more, and then you have harvesting season, it was like an accelerated process. And so the Prophet saw this occurring almost like in real time. And so he asked Jibreel, oh, Jibreel, what's going on? Who are these people? Well, what makes them so unique and so special that they're able to plant and harvest immediately? And he said, this is any person from your nation who worked for the sake of Allah and who sacrificed for his sake, right? Whether it was during their life or even up to their death. So he saw these visions of these people and he saw a couple things and I want to share. And these are a little bit overwhelming, a little bit scary, but I want to share them because there's a lesson at the end of them. He saw on this vision, on this, on this journey, he saw people that were having their lips and tongues that were cut, right? With like swords or almost like, like these, these sharp objects that were made out of iron and steel. And so he asked Jabril, he said, oh, Jabril, who are these people? And Jabril would respond to him. And every time he asked, by the way, these questions, who are these people? When you read the Arabic, there's a, there's a sense of urgency and concern. It's not like a casual, like, who are those? He's almost like worried, like genuinely concerned. Because when you see something happening to somebody, especially when it's something of a sort of consequence or punishment, then it's obviously going to concern any person with a living heart, right? So Jabril says to him, these are people from your ummah, from your nation, who used to slander and backbite others. And then he saw another with a similar punishment, and he said, these are people from your nation who would be the teachers who would preach but not practice what they preached. There was another vision where he saw where he saw people who would have in front of them, imagine the person he would see, they'd be sitting with a nice table, and they would have like a delicious like spread of food, really nice. Like the, 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 the hadith even says like, it uses the word like tayyib, like a very beautiful, pure meal. But then these people would forego the, the, the spread that was in front of them, and they would rather go to the floor. And there was another pile of like this rancid food, this meat. It was rancid. I'm not going to describe it, but you can imagine what rancid might look like. And he says, yeah, he says, Jabril, who are these people? Who on earth would do such a thing that would take beautiful, a beautiful spread of food and ignore it and rather go to the rotten stuff? And Jabril says, these are the people from your ummah, the men and the women who had wholesome, righteous spouses, and rather they chose to engage in extramarital affairs, right, that they chose. So we're seeing here now that the Prophet ﷺ is being given these visions by Allah, these images, these scenarios. And these scenarios are very interestingly not what they seem, meaning that he's seeing something, but there's a cause. And the cause is not instantly what you think of. So if I see people, for example, who are eating like putrid food, that's not the first thing I think of. Now, I'm able to tie the metaphor together or the cutting of the tongue and lips. We're able to tie it together, but it's not the first thing you think of, right? And subhanAllah, one of the, the, the powerful lessons that some of the scholars, they say from this is they say that we believe that this life is real. We believe that we're all here, okay? Pinch yourself, we're here, okay? And then we believe that the next life is real. And even though they don't have like a relationship and how we experience them, they're both real. Yes? Okay, that's what we believe. It's part of our theology. What's interesting, subhanAllah, though, is how often do we do something and do we forget that that action that we did did not end there. It did not die there, so to speak. So I might have engaged, for example, in good deeds, and I completely forgot about it. Anyone here ever does something really good and you forgot about it? Anyone? Everyone's like, sincerity? No, never. never felt that in my life. Right? You might have done like a really good deed and like totally... Okay, let me, let's try this. Have you all ever held the door open for somebody? Yeah, Okay. Did you remember that before I mentioned it? Hopefully not, otherwise you're kind of like a narcissist, right? Like walking around the whole day, you're like, I hold open doors for people. It's what I do. You know, like, no, you just casually do nice things, right? Like you do something nice, you see somebody struggling, whatever. I'm sure, I'm sure. I have confidence. I love you people. I have confidence that everyone here has done something good and has forgotten about it, okay? That's a sign of a good, sincere heart. You're not looking for some sort of reward. You're not looking for anything in return. You just did something that was good. What's the aftermath of doing a good deed like that? Of giving something for somebody, of, 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 of sacrificing for the sake of someone's benefit. What's the aftermath? Is that in the afterlife, you're going to be planting and harvesting and you're going to be seeing those good deeds multiply before you even have time to see it planted. Like as soon as you cover it, those, that's the effect of the good deeds that you're doing. So we're going to go, and we learn this on the Day of Judgment, we're going to be standing there, we're going to say, oh Allah, what is this? We're going to see a mountain of good deeds. And we're going to ask, oh Allah, what is that? There's no way on earth I was ever able to do those good deeds, right? And someone, an and, and angel is going to respond back, or Allah Ta'ala himself in the end of some narrations tells you, 
this is the deed that you did and you helped somebody and you had no idea how much you helped them. And in that moment, you forgot about it. You didn't do it for any other cause. You didn't do it so people would praise you or any reward. You did it for that reason alone, to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the benefit of that person. And that person, as a result, they made so much dua for you, so many prayers for you. One of the cool things on Hajj, when we go every year, our group tells our people, try to do something nice for somebody while you're here, especially somebody you don't know. Why? Because everybody at Hajj who's been invited to come do the Hajj, they're very special. They have something about them. That's why Allah invited them. And so if you do something nice for somebody and they make dua for you, it's almost like, you know, you might get that extra benefit. And so there would be people like rushing to do nice things for everybody that you wouldn't even do normally. Why? Because they understand that these people, their prayers might get close to Allah where you might not get close to him. Right? So never, ever. That's why the Prophet said, Don't do anything. Don't do any good deed. And then afterwards say what? It's not a big deal. It wasn't good enough. Never ever look down upon your good deeds. Interesting, right? It's not arrogance because you understand that the one you're doing it for can multiply it. Okay? Now on the other side of that equation, what's the other reality? The other reality is that we do things all the time, right? We say things all the time. And we might say things that are hurtful to people and not remember them. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You guys ever said something? Yeah. About somebody that was hurtful that maybe you would have taken back, right? Anyone here ever gotten into an argument and as soon as those lips uttered those words, you wondered why on earth you kept speaking? Yeah, it happens. I mean, for some of us, like me, it happens a little bit more frequently than it should, right? These moments, subhanAllah, we don't realize when we backlight, when we slander, when we say these things, that there's a physical reality to these deeds. We We may not realize it here. And one of the greatest, one of the absolute greatest fallacies that we've been sold in the postmodern secular era is that if we can't see it, if we can't smell it, if we can't hear it, if we cannot experience it through our senses, it doesn't actually exist. It's not real. So if I backbite somebody, if I slander somebody, if I say something, as long as it never gets to them, then what? Then what, y'all? Never happened. Right? Never happened. As long as that and subhanAllah God gives us reminders even inside of ourselves that disprove this reality. Like you might backbite somebody or start to talk ill of somebody. And then what happens over time? Even though you're not telling them, your heart starts to what? Develop harshness towards them, resentment towards them. And then eventually they're like, is everything okay? Right? I feel like you're like, I feel like you're, you know, distancing yourself. And you're like, yeah, yeah, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. But little do they know the amount of conversation that you've been having or been hearing about this person. Right? So the reality is that the things that we say, the things that we do, they beget other realities. That's why it's important, for example, not to lie. That's why it's important. It's from Islam not to be a, a liar. Because if a person lies, for example, I'll give you guys an example. How many of y'all cheated in school to get past a, a grade? Okay. How many of you are lying right now? Right? Okay. okay. So... Cheat on an exam or an assignment. You copied someone's. Let me explain what cheating means. Everyone's like, no. And then I give it, you're like, oh, that was cheating? Yeah, right? You copied someone's assignment. You wrote your name on top. It wasn't you. It was them. Okay, that's cheating, okay? People in school all the time. Now, what does that translate to, right? Have any of y'all ever heard of people lying on their resumes to get jobs? Yes. Any of you ever, like, I see some people really angry right now, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, is that fair? Is it the right thing to do? And if you've done it, then may Allah forgive all of us, okay, right? We repent, no, seriously, we repent for those things, we try to turn around. It's possible. And then what happens? Like, people lie to get ahead. People cheat to get ahead. And then eventually cheating and lying becomes so ubiquitous, because why? I did it, I got away with it. I did it, I got away with it. I did it, I got... Every time that I lie or cheat and I'm not caught, it emboldens me. It makes my... The nefs becomes courageous. It becomes more... Has more courage, okay? You know what? I did it in school, I didn't get caught, I didn't work, I didn't get caught. Then what else can I do? I made my taxes. I made my taxes, I can write some things off. Yeah, right? LLC. Oh yeah, this is a charitable donation. Oh yeah. I have a couple of dependents. Hey mom, if the IRS calls you, just say G, just say yes, right? You're my dependent. I hope I'm not giving anyone ideas, okay, right? Start to lie on the taxes a little bit. Start to do it. And then eventually, like, lie to your friends. Lie to- and then eventually it's like, lie to your spouse. And then eventually it's, lie to your kids, lie and, and a person has become so accustomed to living in dishonesty, 
And where did it start? It started with that assignment. Now, I'm not trying to scare everybody, like, oh, man. But the reality is that when we become, when we nurture ourselves with negativity, it grows. Whatever you nurture will grow. Whatever you feed will grow. If I feed the soul that lies and cheats and steals, where does it end? Nothing responsible is going to come from that. So the reality is the Prophet is seeing these things because he wants us to know that even though you can't see the impact of your tongue, you will one day. So you got to stop it. And you got to repent for it. You got to make sure that you hold it. You say you want to say something, don't. Right? You want to say something, don't. You want to you want to engage in that behavior, don't. Anything that's that's tragic for the soul, don't do it. Why? Because even though you can't see the reality of what it's doing to you now, you look in the mirror and you're like, I look the same. Right? Maybe I can get away with it. No, there's something waiting. There's something absolutely waiting. We ask Allah to protect us from that. So the Prophet ﷺ, he gets down from the heavens and he starts traveling back to Mecca and he goes and he is brought back to the place where he was taken from in the Hijr of Ismail near the Kaaba. And he prays and he feels this, and this is like a historical rendering of what that might look like. I mean, it's obviously not going to be, this is probably much later than the Prophet ﷺ, to be honest with you. But it's somewhat similar. Like now we're used to seeing Mecca and we're used to seeing what? The giant towers, like the hotels, the shopping centers, whatnot. But at the time, it was a very, very uh, simple, right? It was, a, it was a metropolis. People still did trade and they came through, but it was very simple. It was very Kaaba-centric, so to speak. It still is. When you go there and you see the Kaaba, you can't see anything else anymore. It's a miracle in and of itself. But nevertheless, it was a place that was very residential. There was a lot of houses. There were a lot of homes. So the, there was a lot of traffic that was going through the courtyard. So the Prophet was sitting... And obviously, you know, have you guys ever experienced something that was so, for you, was almost like an out-of-body experience? It was so incredible, right? If you guys ever, like, uh, met somebody that you really admire and look up to, right? I don't know if Saad's here. Is Saad here? No, he's not here. He usually comes. Uh, he told me he's been, like, a Tom Brady fan his whole life, and he went to the, he, he, he's a sports writer, and he went to the Patriots game where the Cowboys, they lose? You thought I forgot. Where's Romo? They lost to the Patriots. How many games have they lost so far in a, in a streak? About the same as the Bears? Okay, yeah. But the difference is that y'all are like a million. Okay, number one in the crap division. Anyways, Bear, I just want to let you guys know the Bears won on Thursday. Alhamdulillah. 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 Say alhamdulillah. They were injury riddled. But you know, Allah just chooses these things. You know what I mean? Like, we, just, we don't choose what Allah does. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's what it is. Anyways, Jason Garrett, the clap. All right, okay. So. Where was I even? Oh, yeah. So Saad was telling me. I asked him. I asked him. Like, when he came back, I was like, how was it? How was it going up to, you know, Foxborough? Hey, baby, it's not like uh, How was it going up to Foxborough? You want to come sit here? Oh, thank you. Is this for me? Okay, thank you. Thank you. For all that you do, we appreciate you. Oh, is this a Toyota? Did I work for Toyota? Okay. I was like, that's really nice. And then I saw the Toyota brand on the back. I was like, I don't work for Toyota. Okay. So I asked him, how was it? And he goes, dude, you'll never believe what happened. I said, what happened? He was like, you know, I was walking. And I was near the field or whatever, and I walked right into Tom Brady. Like, just walked into him. And he's like, and I grew up a Patriots fan. I was like, and you should just see, like, when I when I was talking to Saad, like, you know, shout out to Saad Bashallah, by the way. When I was talking to him, it looked like he was like a kid. You know, that, that it, I mean, out-of-body experience. Like, somebody that he's been watching on TV for, I don't know, Tom Brady's like 70 now, right? So he's been watching him for decades, and he just feels like, um, I cannot believe I just met this guy that I literally just sit there on Sundays and watch him and, and, and watch his highlights and revel in his, his, his abilities, right? Uh, not political abilities, athletic abilities. And he said that I just felt like it was so nuts. I couldn't even believe it was real, okay? So obviously when you go through those moments, what happens to you? You go through this out-of-body experience of what happens when you come back down to earth, so to speak. What happens? Uh, like your heartbeat, right? You're kind of excited. Sometimes you almost got like this smile on your face. You don't even realize it. Like you're just kind of walking around. Just... So that's what happened to the Prophet Sallallahu The Prophet Sallallahu was sitting in Mecca. And remember, we're talking about what was before this journey. What was it like? His life was extremely difficult. He'd experienced the loss of his family, his wife, his uncle. They went through such tragedy. And so the Prophet Sallallahu now, what happened as a result of his meeting with God was that obviously the tragedy still happened. It still existed. It didn't erase those things, but... It was, it was a part of his healing. His meeting with Allah was a part of his healing. His, his journey to God was a part of his processing and healing. And so he went back and he was praying 
And there was a certain vibe about him. There was a certain sense about the Prophet He looked a little bit lighter. He didn't look as heavy and as, as weighed down as he did before his journey. And so he says, and he actually, the Prophet describes, he says, I was sitting by myself and I was thinking, right, as, as he was happy, he said, I was thinking how people would respond to me when I told them about this thing that happened. I was thinking, like, how on earth am I going to be able to explain this? Okay, so he's a prophet. He knew it happened, but he's thinking about people. He knows that human beings are obviously going to question. They're going to be skeptical. And at that moment, he says, Abu Jahl comes up. And Abu Jahl literally means the father of ignorance. It wasn't his name. His name is Amr bin Hisham. But Abu Jahl walks up to him. Abu Jahl is like his self-appointed enemy of the Prophet and wants to make his life so miserable. And he went up to him and he says, he looks at his face and he's like, what are you, what happened to you? Right? He just kind of wants to start something. So the Prophet says, uh, something, <laughs> something happened. And he says, what? Something significant? Like something, you know, what's your deal? And the Prophet says, I was taken on a journey last night. And Abu Jahl says, okay. And he said, to Jerusalem. And Abu Jahl just starts smiling. And, he, and you must imagine, like, what's he thinking in his head? Like, we got him, right? We finally got him. Like, this guy, this guy's going to tell everybody that he went to where? That he went to Jerusalem? Like, there's no way that people are going to believe that. So he's super happy. Abu Jahl, like, is instantly responding. He goes, oh, Jerusalem. Tell me about it, right? So he's, like, really mocking him. And he goes, tell me, you went to Jerusalem last night? He goes, yeah. He goes, and you're here. He goes, yeah, I came back. And he goes, can I call everybody? <laughs> because he's a jerk, right? Because for him, it's no longer about the Prophet Sallallahu and him having a disagreement, right? And this is, if you find this within yourself, then know that this is more Abu Jahl than it is Muhammad Sallallahu If you celebrate when people, when you think that they are gonna be mocked or ridiculed, if, you, if that makes a person happy, then know that this is not Muhammadan. This is not a, a prophetic characteristic, right? He he wants to, right? He wants to stomp on them. Because let me call everybody. So he calls everybody. The Prophet says, sure. He calls everybody. And once they sit, he says, tell them what you just told me. Tell them what you just told me. The Prophet says, I was taken on a journey last night. They all said, where? He said, to Jerusalem. And they said, wait, and you're here with us now? amongst us right now? And he said, yes. And they all started to laugh. In another narration, Abu Jahl goes, okay, okay, tell me, tell us about the journey. Like, what was it like? He goes, well, I was taken to Jerusalem and I saw that a number of prophets, God presented them in, in their souls before me and we all prayed together. And so Abu Jahl goes, okay, this is great. Tell me, which prophets did you meet? And he said, well, I met Ibrahim salam, and he goes, and I never ever saw somebody who looked like him before. And then he said, and I saw Prophet Musa, and he's tall, and his skin is dark, and he's very lean, and he looks like the people of Shanu'a, and he has curly hair. Many people didn't know that Prophet Musa was black, right? And he says he's from Shanu'a. The people of Shanu'a were incredibly two things, very handsome and very uh, good-mannered. So he said that he's like Shanu'a. He was tall, he was lean, he had dark skin, and he had some curly hair, and he was very, like, He's from Shanu'a. He said, that's the only way that I can explain how, people, how he was. He was like esteemed and very handsome. He goes, and I saw Isa ibn Maryam, Isa the, the, the son of Mary, and he was neither tall nor short. He was very wide-shouldered. He had some wide shoulders. He was big. And he had straight hair. He had some, some moles on his face. And he looked like he had just been in a bath, like his hair was, looked wet, even though it wasn't. Okay, even though it wasn't. Um, and he said, he actually kind of looked like one of your companions, right? So he kind of was trying to, again, make this, uh, this, this case. When he said this, they all started to laugh at him. They all started to mock. And I want you to imagine now going, coming literally from the, 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 the heavens, meeting Allah, coming down, going back to your people. And then like just telling them the truth, like just telling them what you saw and seeing them jeer and laugh and yell. And they were almost like, yeah, tell us more, tell us more. And they were just kind of like motioning, like what a person, like what a crazy person. And I couldn't help when I was reading this to think to myself, like how many times have we ever felt about our belief and our faith, right? If you're a Muslim, if you're here, 
that like you're just kind of like there's certain things that you're like i don't really want to talk about those Coworkers are like, hey, I read about the gene. What are those? The gin. You're like, oh god. You're like, how am I going to even start to explain what a gin is? Or like certain practices. Like, why do you pray that way? Why do you do that? Why? And many of us do what? Kind of navigate. Right? We're like, yeah, let's meet for lunch, right? Like it's Ramadan. You're like, exactly, right? See you in a month, and hopefully you'll forget by that time. It, there, there are these moments where sometimes we feel a little bit sensitive, shy, dare I even say ashamed, to talk about what we might believe, what we might do, what we might practice, or what we believe or should do, even though we're not quite doing it ourselves, okay? And we think about the Prophet and you think about how utterly confident he was in the face of people who were literally deriding him, like literally in his face laughing, telling him how absurd his story was and he just kept speaking now what's interesting is that in that gathering there was one person that was not laughing at him his name is Abu Bakr and Abu Bakr this is before he received his his title as Siddiq this is actually where it happened Abu Bakr every time the Prophet said something and everyone started laughing you would hear one person say a word everyone's they're laughing lol raffle okay and you would hear Abu Bakr say Sadaqt Sadaqt means you're truthful every time I saw Ibrahim and he looked very unique Sadaqt Ya Rasulullah like cheering him on like letting him know like I'm with you Sadaqt, Sadaqt and he repeats it over and over again five, six, seven times till finally at the end the Prophet smiles and he looks at the person that has this unwavering belief and he says Enta Siddiq he goes, you're saying I'm truthful? No, you're truthful. You're truthful meaning what? You've actually fulfilled this thing, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, that you've actually fulfilled it. You're sitting here amongst everybody and this is your chance to bail. This is your chance now that if, 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 if you needed a moment, a back door to say, you know what, I was Muslim, but man, like that is just too hard to believe, too hard to swallow. Then Obakr, this is your chance. And Obakr says, no, like, no chance. I'm with you, Sadaqti Rasulullah. And so in those moments, there was another person who when the Prophet was talking, and he had a bit of a relationship with the Prophet He was the one that led him back into Mecca after Ta'if, Muta'im bin Adi. And even though he was known to be friendly with the Prophet at that time, when the Prophet was telling these stories, he said to him, he actually said, all that you did before was bearable, but man, I got to tell you, I think you're just a liar. He just said it straight up to his face. So you look at two people in that gathering. You look at Mut'am bin Adi, who when he's tested, he gives up the support of the Prophet Sallallahu even though he wasn't uh, part of the community. And then you look at Abu Bakr Siddiq, who when he's tested, what happens? His, his belief actually increases. And what's the difference between the two? What was the difference between the two? How is it that the same story can make one person believe more and make one person believe less? How is it? Allah tells us in the Quran. Allah actually tell, uses an example in the Quran, very similar. He says that, When Allah is talking about his signs in the Quran, he says some people are really guided by it. A lot of people are guided by it. And he says, on the other side, there's a lot of people that read the same verses. And they find themselves being misguided. He says, and the only people who are misguided after engaging with spirituality that end up disbelieving in it, he says it's those people that have let their hearts drift so far that spirituality is unrecognizable to them. Ibn Atta'illah actually comments on this. And I want, to, I want us to kind of apply this. This is kind of a deep session, so I apologize. I know normally we kind of have a good time, a few laughs, but this is a deep session. I want to, there's one thing I want, I want us to walk away with. Ibn Atta'illah, he talks about sickness. Anyone here ever gotten sick before? I don't mean like sick with it, like on the court, but like, have you gotten like sick, like ill? I don't mean ill on the court. What I mean is like, have you ever contracted a virus or something? Okay. Yeah. What happens? Like you get a fever, you know, maybe you can't hear properly. You can't see, like, you know, there's all kinds of, 
And, and what happens to you? Are you yourself? No. When you're sick, are you yourself? Like, what's your favorite dish? What's your favorite food? A lot of pressure right now. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> shawarma. Shawarma. Very good. Okay, shawarma, right? Shawarma. It's a sandwich. It's, it's basically... It's basically a piece of heaven. So it's, it's, it's a Mediterranean sandwich, right? Arabian sandwich. So shawarma, right? Now, when you're sick, despite whatever your favorite food is, your taste buds are kind of out of whack. And I don't know the biological term for it. I'm sure it's not out of whack. Like you look in like physiology books, you're like, when you have a fever, your tongue is out of whack, right? But there's something about your sense. There's something about your, your senses, your taste, that simply is not as calibrated as it once was when you're healthy. So the scholars of spirituality, they use this analogy. And they say that, you know, when you're sick, when your body's sick, you no longer enjoy the things that you enjoyed. You don't want to eat the food because you can't taste it properly. You know, you're drink, your, your nose is all stuffed up and you're drinking something. You're like, I don't even know what I'm drinking. Like this could be, you know, water. It could be juice. It could be medicine. Like, I don't know. It all just tastes like nothing. And then you don't want to do anything. You don't want to hit your head as heavy. You don't want to do anything. And the scholars say that this is the same case of the soul or the heart that is sick. That if one person is praying or reading Quran or is doing good, right? They're giving their day for charity. They're doing philanthropy, right? And that heart, if they're healthy, they enjoy it. They stand in prayer and they're like, that is beautiful. They listen to beautiful recitation, like Isha Mashallah. And they're like, that is amazing. That was beautiful. And then he says, there are others that when their heart is sick, they hear it and they're like, what's that? What's that gibberish? Or you tell them, hey, wake up. Let's go do some, let's go do some good work, right? There's some people that need help and we should go help them. They're like, ah, I'm going to sleep in. I'm not going to waste my time, you know? Or there's some people that, you get, the, you get the gist? So what happens now to the heart of these people when they're listening to the Prophet Sallallahu is that the way they respond to his message is an indictment against them, or it's a proof for them. When he comes back, this moment is like the breaking point for them. Who's going to follow? And I'll tell you something that is also a little bit interesting, is that this tested people's faith. It wasn't just the people that were not already believing in the Prophet Sallallahu They were people who did believe in the Prophet Sallallahu up until this point, and this broke them. This broke them. This made them actually question everything. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? If anyone here has ever felt concerned about the stability of their faith in life, and by the way, corporate America, working professionally, your careers, you will come to spiritual forks in the road. Yes or no? Anyone? Yeah, of course. Hey, you want to go out tonight? Sure. All right, we're going to meet here, right? Thirsty Thursdays. You're like, oh, gosh, right? <laughs> And then I'm there having dinner with my wife, and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize, right? You were that thirsty, I guess, on Thursday, you know? <laughs> I'm joking. It's happened to me. Actually, one time I was eating, I was eating lunch. Uh, I forgot where. I haven't been back since because it was such a traumatic experience. And, and I went, and uh, I was there with one of my teachers. I think I told you all this story. I was with one of my teachers, and it was in my old neighborhood where I went to high school. And I'd never been back there. And I was a different person in high school. So then I was there, and I remember this girl comes up to me, this girl that I knew in high school really well. And she's like, Murphy? And I was like, oh no. And I'm sitting there with like my sheikh, like my sheikh, like teacher. And she just like jumps on me. And I'm just like, And thankfully he was cool. He started laughing. He's like, I didn't believe when you used to say how you were in high school. And he's like, no, I believe you. All right, okay? So he's like, you were really friendly. So... The point being is that you will come to many forks in the road in your professional career, in your social life, what you do, what you don't do. There's going to be a lot of decisions that you have to make. And the decision might look like one thing on the outside, but on the inside, you know it's faith forward or faith backwards. Am I going towards Allah or further away from Allah? Like, you know, like I actually, like, I won't even be able to tell you, like none of your friends will either. Like, you're just going to be like, this is how it is at work. This is the culture. This is, this is it. And then, some people are like, what's the big deal? And you're like, no, I, I just don't feel comfortable with it, right? And you're going to try to negotiate and feel a little bit of guilt or a little bit of motivation to do one or another, and you're going to have to decide. Everyone has their breaking point, and you're going to have to decide whether or not when your faith is tested, you're going to run towards Allah or run away, right? And these, these moments happen time and time again. 
And so this was one of those stories. So the Prophet Sallallahu is telling them, and they're not believing him, but Abu Bakr Siddiq, he does this. Now, what happens when the Prophet Sallallahu you know, and this is the way that Allah Ta'ala works in the Ma'al Usri Yusra. It was recited in Isha tonight. That Allah says that with every difficulty, coupled with that difficulty, there's ease. Coupled with it. So the perspective of a believer is that you're always looking, whenever you're in a really tough situation, always look for something good about it. Right? Always look for something good. Like someone steals your lunch at work, you're like, I guess I'm, I guess I'm keto today. Like, I guess, you know, like, I don't know. Like, you look for a situation. You look... Something happens to your car, you're like, I guess I'm getting a new car. You know, or it's, always look for khair. Always find it because we believe that there's always good. In the ma'al-usri, yusra. In every difficulty, there is ease that's coupled with it. So the Prophet ﷺ is sitting there and he's being mocked and ridiculed and he's being told like, how are you? So then what happens is, they say, okay, okay, okay. Right, so then they keep piling on. They say, you went to Masjid Aqsa, that mosque, Masjid Aqsa, Jerusalem? They said, yeah. They said, describe it to us. And this is the crazy part. You guys want to hear this? When I read this, it actually gave me goosebumps. The Prophet ﷺ said, he's saying himself, he said that when they asked me that, I became concerned. Why do you think he became concerned? What? Yeah, very good. Like, was he there as like an architectural survey? Was he there with like grid paper? And he's like, oh, very interesting, right? <laughs> what era is this from? No. Dude, he was, I mean, like, literally, he was on his way on a spiritual journey, physical but spiritual, where he saw things that don't exist in this realm, by the way, led over 100,000 prophets in prayer, was sitting there after the dars talking to Prophet Ibrahim and, Mo- and Musa, like, I mean, you go to pray to Masjid here, you're talking to, like, Zulfikar uncle and, like, Ali, you know, like, there, you're sitting there talking to prophets of God, you know what I mean? You think he remembers like how many doors there were? That's what they're asking him. They're like, describe it to us. Tell us how many doors there are. Some of, they said some of us, some of our elders, we've been there before. We know. Right? And when they would travel, by the way, they would stay for a long time because the nature of travel, the longer it takes you to get somewhere, generally the longer you're gonna stay there. Right? So imagine for them it would take weeks to get there. They would probably stay for weeks. So they would become very familiar, very accustomed. With the architecture. So he said, I began to describe whatever I could remember. You know, even if you asked me, subhanAllah, for those of us who went on Aqsa, like, if I told you to describe how many doors I've had, you'd be like, uh, I just took pictures of shawarma and vlog. You know, that was me. I'm making fun of myself, not anybody else, okay? So they said, describe the message to us. And there was another person who, sit, who stood there and he said, yeah, yeah, describe it. He stood up and he goes, I'm the most knowledgeable of how it looks. Run it by me. What does it look like? And he said, I began, I, the Prophet said, I became so nervous. I became, I became absolutely so nervous. He goes, I started to get confused. He goes, and then I looked up, and in front of me, I saw Masjid Al-Aqsa. God made, in another narration, the narration says that Jibreel had one of his wings, and it was like a projection screen. 4K. Right? And so he says... They asked again, okay, how many doors? Right? Come on. You said you were there. So the Prophet didn't say like eight or four. You know what he did? This is amazing. Insult to injury. I love it. Savage. He said one, two, three. What was he doing? Because he saw it. So he was describing it perfectly. He's like, okay, how many doors? Okay, one, two, six. And there's a crack on this one. Right? Oh, that one's a little bit uneven. Right? Am I right? And they all looked at each other. The people who were familiar with Sham and Jerusalem, they were like, are you serious? And they were like, he's right. And they kept saying he's right. And so he kept describing it. And he said that in that moment, that when I was able to answer them, they turned and he said they looked completely shocked. You know, we would say like they were like ghosts. And he said they looked at each other and they whispered. They said, by God, he's correct. By God, he's absolutely correct. So then they said, okay, 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 one more. Maybe he has a good memory. We have a caravan that's coming back from there. They went there for trade and they're coming back. They said, did you see it? He said, oh yeah, I did. He said, I actually saw it. And they said, okay, tell us what it looked like. He goes, well, it had this many people, this many camels, but actually one of their camels was running away and they were chasing it. And he said, and on the larger camel, there was a, a, a vessel, the bag, one half of it was light color, one half of it was like a blacker, darker, grayer color. And they said, are you serious? 
And he goes, yeah, one more thing. I actually went down with Jibreel because they left a pot of water and I took from that pot of water and I drank from it. And they were like, okay, that's interesting, but we'll test your theory when they get back. So they said, when are they going to arrive? He goes, they should arrive any, any day now. So which day? He goes, in a couple days. So they gathered on that day and they stood and they waited all day long. They were like, no one's going to move. We're not going to let you go because you might disappear and try to go see what the caravan had and come back when they get here. They said, you're going to be in front of us the whole time. And they said, we, we stood there all day long. And you guys ever know like Asr time that leads into Maghrib? What happens? It starts to get darker, golden hour, right? Okay. The cell phones come out. So that time was happening. The whole day had gone. The Prophet was waiting. And again, he says, what? I began to get nervous. Okay. First time, he said, what? I began to become nervous. Second time, he goes, I began to get nervous. This is a prophet of God. Like, this is a prophet of God. He's met Jabril. Like, would you ever get nervous? He did. He goes, I began to get nervous. And he goes, and all of a sudden, I kept looking, and I was nervous. Why was he nervous? He was nervous because the day was going to end. And once the day ended, most caravans would stop, and they would chill. So if you were driving somewhere, and it was getting kind of rainy at night, and you didn't want to drive, even if you were close, you would stop and get a hotel, and you'd be like, you know, we'll just finish tomorrow. So the caravan would normally stop and they would spend the night. So he said, I was getting nervous. And he goes, and I saw the sun was setting and maybe 15, 20 minutes, it was going to be Melgrip time. Like it was golden hour, like. And then he said, and then 30 minutes goes by, 40 minutes goes by, an hour goes by, an hour and a half goes by, and the sun is not moving. And the same, the shadows are staying in the same way until the caravan arrives and we confirm and they come and they say, hey, and they describe everything. Did you guys lose a camel on the way? They said, yeah, we did. How'd you know? And we had to chase it down. And we, they said, one of the narrations says, we actually heard somebody yelling from the sky. It's that way. The prophet was just like. <laughs> and then he says, hey, did you have a pot of water? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, is it full? And he goes, no. He goes, how'd you know it wasn't full? And he goes, what do you mean it wasn't full? He goes, well, I filled it up and I came back and there was some missing. I thought that maybe the camel drank from it or knocked it over. And the prophet was like, <laughs> right? And then he said, and then after that, the sunset. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. SubhanAllah. Why am I saying this? You know, tomorrow you guys going to go to work. Like, did you finish your report? You're like, look at the sun. You're like, stop. Right? Like, Two more hours, you know? Am I saying this because miracles are repeatable? Am I saying this because miracles happen on demand? Am I saying this because we even know what miracles Allah will give us? No. I'm saying this for one reason. The part that shook me in the story the most was the connection between me and the Prophet Sallallahu and that I became concerned. How many times does life throw something at you and you say to yourself, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I became what? Concerned. I don't know if I'm going to be able, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. I don't know if this proposal is going to go through. I don't know if my marriage is going to make it. I don't know if we're going to have kids. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay for that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, I don't know if my health, my parents, how many moments hit us in life where the natural response takes over? I don't know. Like, I don't know. And the prophet still suddenly shows us and he's telling us with his own words, I became concerned. Have you all ever had to make a decision in your life where you're like, I'm really worried? The Prophet ﷺ always shared how he felt, but he never let his worry become greater than his trust. He never let his worry become greater than what? His trust in Allah. He felt worried. He told us that. He's letting us know, I'm human. Allah says in the Quran, tell people, I'm just a human being just like you. He felt concerned. He felt that worry, just like you and I feel that worry. Some things, some questions are here, some are there. They're all over the place. Everyone has their own worries. The question is, at the end of that worry, do you arrive at trust or do you arrive at doubt? Is Allah going to abandon me? Is Allah going to leave me hanging? Or is Allah going to carry me through it like he's always done before? And this is why Ibn al-Qayyim, he says, one of the greatest strengths for a believer is trust in Allah is to look at all the times in your life before that Allah hooked you up and got you covered. And if you can't find any, you're not looking hard enough. You're not looking hard enough. You're not seeing your life in enough detail. All right? 
because you look back and you see like, man, when I was in that situation, Allah hooked it up. When I was there, Allah hooked it up. When I was there, I thought that this would never get worse than this. Allah Ta'ala, what? He got me. And so the Prophet Sallallahu in one of the most difficult moments of his life where he's questioning, is Allah going to be there for me? Allah calls him. Allah spends time with him. Allah sends him back. And then Allah puts him right back in the what? In the test. Just because he prayed, just because he went on this journey, doesn't mean the test stopped. Puts him right back in it. But now he has a renewed sense of trust. So we're going through something in life. We pray to Allah. We connect. Just because we pray doesn't mean that the test ends. Just because we prayed, it's not like, oh man, I got bills. Allah, Akbar, you pray. And then you finish, you're like, are they still there? They're still there. Like, that's not how Allah works. You finish Salah, and now you have conviction. You have confidence. You have belief that whatever it is that I'm carrying, I'm strong enough to carry it. When I doubted my strength before, I now put my head on the ground to Allah, and I came back up stronger than I was. That's the purpose of Salah. A Salah, Mi'raj is mu'min. The Salah is your ascension. If you need strength, ask yourself, where am I praying? When am I praying? How am I praying? Right? A lot of times we think like, oh, I'm, it's not going to work. I don't even know what I'm saying. I don't even know what I'm doing. When you pray, you're getting strength. In the same way that when you go to the gym, even if you don't feel it, you're getting stronger. You're getting better. Your life is improving. You may not feel it. You may not see the results right away, but it's happening. We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us that strength. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to give us strong faith. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to allow us to benefit from our salah, even if we don't know it. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the ability to see the benefit from our prayers and to grant us the motivation to pray and to grant us the motivation to stop doing any of the, the things that we're doing that are bringing us down. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring us a close connection to Him. And we ask Allah ta'ala to grant us the many miracles that He already is granting us. We ask Allah to continue to grant us those miracles and to allow us to be appreciative enough to see those in our life and see how Allah's generosity is never ending and His mercy is all enveloping and that his strength and his power is capable as long as we are asking him for it. I mean,